0: You're listening to the Eyes on Conservation Podcast, episode... 13. Welcome to another very special episode of the Eyes on Conservation podcast, produced in collaboration with the radio show Building a Greener Idaho. Eyes on Conservation brings you engaging conversations about conservation issues from all across the globe. And on today's show, we're focusing on the issue of connecting refugee children with the outdoor environment here in Boise, Idaho. I'm Eyes on Conservation host Matt Podolsky, and I'll be joined today by the host of Building a Greener Idaho, Chris Wilson. This is the second Eyes on Conservation podcast episode that we are producing in collaboration with the radio show Building a Greener Idaho. This show will be aired on Radio Boise, and that's 89.9 and 93.5 FM for folks here in the Treasure Valley of Idaho, in addition to being released as a podcast. We have partnered with Building a Greener Idaho for this episode because this month's theme is of particular interest to folks here in the Boise community, and we wanted to make sure that people here in Boise have easy access to the important message that our guests have to share today i'll be introducing our guests in just a minute but first we're going to jump into this week's edition of the birds and the beats with ben murin
1: When we hear about trash in our oceans, most of us probably envision grocery bags, water bottles, and other refuse floating in the current and ensnaring marine life. That idea is based in fact, but a vast majority of marine plastic is actually tiny microtrash, easily mistakable for plankton and extremely difficult to extract from the water. This microtrash is highly toxic to sea life, but where does it all come from? A team of scientists from the University of Georgia and the National Center for Ecological Analysis and Synthesis has isolated improper waste management and littering as the primary causes of marine plastic accumulation from a sample of 192 countries. Out of a total of 275 million metric tons of plastic waste generated in those countries, the study found between 4.8 and 12.7 million tons, or around 3%, entered the ocean from people living within 50 kilometers of the coastline. The study gives us the first estimate for trash that enters the ocean each year, at 8 million tons on average. This is the equivalent of finding five grocery bags full of plastic on every foot of coastline in the 192 countries examined. The study also identified the 20 countries that contribute the most to this plastic flood. China tops the list at 8.82 metric tons per year. Second is Indonesia, then the Philippines, Vietnam, Sri Lanka, Thailand, Egypt, Malaysia, Nigeria, Bangladesh, South Africa, India, Algeria, Turkey, Pakistan, Brazil, Myanmar, Morocco, North Korea, and finally, the United States at 0.28 metric tons.
0: You know, it's funny, Ben. I just assumed that the U.S. would be right at the top of that list. So how do these researchers measure this?
1: The methods used represent a complete overhaul of how scientists survey marine trash buildup. Rather than trolling the ocean with nets, which is tedious and expensive, The team developed models for every source of plastic entering the ocean, from the land, sea, and other pathways. From the beginning, their estimates pointed to mismanaged waste and solid waste dispersal as the primary causes of this trash. What this essentially means is any sort of open-air dumps or similarly inadequate waste management systems are a big threat, followed by litterbugs who don't throw out their plastic properly.
0: So I wonder how this approach taken by these researchers is more progressive than previous methods. And do they have suggestions for how to address this issue?
1: The team's models can be adapted to any country's needs, but there don't appear to be any new strategies just yet. Part of the problem is that the countries in that list represent a wide swath of socioeconomic and even political stability, and so solutions that might be easily implemented in one country may not be appropriate for another. Consider a developing country that wants to reduce its marine plastic. Hypothetically, their agenda is good. But the fact is, infrastructural developments around waste management tend to take the backseat to issues like clean water and sewage treatment, and to a degree, I think that's understandable. We've really come a long way in environmental engineering since research in marine plastic began in earnest in the 1970s. But advanced recycling and waste management systems aren't available equally throughout the world.
0: So what about the plastic that's already out there in the ocean? Is there any way to get rid of it?
1: I had the same question. I spoke via email with Assistant Professor Jenna Jambeck from UGA who led the study, and she echoed what I'd already suspected, that the challenge of getting rid of plastic in the ocean is collecting it. The majority of the plastic in the ocean isn't floating in the water, it's sunk to the bottom. It's also been recovered in sea ice. And as for the small fragments of microtrash, it's actually difficult to clean up the fragments without picking up plankton as well. From the look of it all, an overwhelming proportion of proposed solutions focus now on preventative action, Reducing plastic in the waste stream, developing incentives for people not to litter. All of these measures are good, but as for extracting the plastic that's already been degraded by sunlight and ocean waves into microtrash, I haven't found any current plans with widespread support or official endorsement. I hope someone can prove me wrong.
0: I certainly hope so, too. Well, thanks for sharing this important information with us, Ben. This definitely sheds a new light on the issue of ocean trash. And although a concrete solution may be difficult to achieve, determining the true nature of the problem is certainly an important first step. So, Ben, what's the hook for our new beat this week?
1: Oceans aren't the only bodies of water in trouble right now. Congress recently debated an amendment to the Clean Waters Act of 1972, designed to expand protection to bodies of fresh water that were somewhat ambiguously mentioned in the original rule, like vernal pools and streams and small patches of water barely navigable by boats. The response hasn't been positive, and the authors have to deliver a final submission this spring. While our fingers are crossed, I'd like to play an original beat made entirely from wetland bird songs and beatboxing. All the sounds are vocal, either from the mouths of birds or from me, And it's in honor of World Wetlands Day this month, and the habitats that day celebrates.
0: Well, that concludes this week's edition of the birds and the beats ben has some great videos up on his youtube channel that show exactly how he creates his unique bird song music we'll have a link to that in the show notes for this episode so be sure to check that out and also let us know what you thought about this week's song by leaving a comment on the show notes page so it is now time to jump into this week's interview our topic of discussion this week is the New Roots program, which is a summer camp program designed to connect refugee children living in Boise, Idaho with the outdoors. The project was initiated this past summer and was a huge success. We'll be talking with the founders of the New Roots Program, Liz Urban and Megan Jones. Now, before we get into this interview, I'll mention that we are also releasing a short video about the New Roots Program alongside this podcast episode over on the Eyes on Conservation video podcast. So if you enjoy this week's discussion, definitely check out the video as well.
2: Welcome to Building a Greener Idaho. I'm your co host, Chris Wilson. Building a Greener Idaho is a weekly program on Radio Boise. Each Tuesday at 3 p.m., we dedicate a half hour to discussing how to create a greener Idaho through sustainable development practices. Today's show is a collaboration with Eyes on Conservation, a wildlife conservation podcast series created by Wildlands, who is a local conservation video production organization. My co-host today through this collaboration is Matthew Podolsky, co-founder of Wildlands. Matthew, thanks so much for being on the show today and co-hosting. Um, please tell us about the program.
0: <laughs> you bet. Thanks, Chris. And, yeah, thanks for, uh, thanks for having me on the program. Um, so, yeah, Eyes on Conservation is a podcast series that explores conservation issues from all across the globe. Each month we pick a theme for the show, and this month... We're focusing on community-based conservation programs here in the city of Boise. So we're extremely happy happy to be partnering with Building a Greener Idaho for two very special episodes of the show. And today we're talking about the New Roots program, which is a conservation themed summer camp for refugee kids here in Boise. We have with us in the studio the creators of this program, Liz Urban and Megan Jones. Uh, Liz is a board member and the education committee chair for the Golden Eagle Audubon Society, and Megan is a teacher and educator who works with refugee children. Um, so thanks for coming on the program, both you guys. Um, Let's hear from you first, Liz. Um, I'm curious to hear uh, a little bit about your background um, and and how you got involved working with the Golden Eagle Audubon Society.
3: Thanks so much for having me. Um, Let's see. So I became involved with the Audubon Society, I think just about three years ago when I moved here to Boise. Um, My background is in natural resources. I have a master's in wildlife conservation and management Um, And so I've been working with birds for most of my career. And so the Audubon is a natural place for me to be drawn to.
0: Fantastic. So I'm wondering how you made this transition from, you know, studying birds to uh, uh, sort of finding the inspiration to uh, create a summer camp program for refugee kids.
3: Yeah, in the past couple of years, I've gotten really interested in kind of branching out personally into the environmental education arena. And it was actually through a personal family connection that I kind of became aware of how large a refugee community we have here locally. And I just realized as I was working with different programs that we were not doing a very good job of actually reaching out into this community and getting them involved in environmental education and on-the-ground conservation.
0: Great, great. So uh, I guess I'm wondering how you, uh, how, did, how did you structure this, this summer camp program? Um you know, I, I, I'm just wondering how you sort of uh, approach this when you, you know, when you first had the idea.
3: It was really interesting. Um, the way it actually came to fruition was I received a fellowship from a national Audubon program called Toyota Together Green. And so they provided some leadership training, but also this grant to build this community program. And I came into it with this idea that I want to connect the refugee and environmental communities here. But how to actually do that was a challenge. Um, and I wanted to do what was convenient for the families and the kids. And as I uh, began a partnership here with Megan, um, we decided kind of a week-long summer day camp was going to be the best bet. And it worked out really well.
0: Great, great. So what kind of, I mean, where did you go with these kids? You know, what, what kind of activities did you do? What areas did you visit? And uh, what kind of activities were involved?
3: So I think this last year in 2014, in June, we uh, over our six days of working with the kids, we visited something like 10 different sites. Um, we went to Bogus Basin, all the way down to Black's Creek Bird Reserve, which is down in the Sagebrush, and we um, went to Zoo Boise, Hyatt Wetlands, a lot of places in between that kind of showed the diversity of our environment in and around Boise.
0: Fantastic, and I mean, did, what kind of response did you get from these kids? I mean, were they were were they excited to get out? And I mean, had, had they vi- been to any of these areas before? Um, what what kind of reaction did you get from them?
3: That was gonna. That was a really scary piece of it for me. Actually, I was like, oh my gosh, I really hope they like this, um, and they loved it. It was um, a wonderful week. Like, I think we had a really overwhelmingly positive response. The kids hadn't been to maybe one or two of the places, but Megan and I were talking about. You know, they had never experienced these places in this way. They had perhaps been to the zoo here in Boise, but we hadn't talked about the importance of conservation and what individuals' choices make on the environment and therefore wildlife and conservation at large.
0: Fantastic. Well, that's definitely good to hear. So I want to hear a little bit from you now, Megan. Um, uh, So, I mean, you have a background uh, as an educator uh, working with uh, the refugee community here in Boise. I guess I'm wondering, I guess I just want to hear a little bit more about that background. How did you get involved in doing this type of work?
4: Uh, well, it's been a long journey for me. So I, I guess I became aware of the difference between immigrants and refugees in the early 90s. And um, I was pursuing my master's degree, and then I did my doctoral dissertation on refugee pa- parents and elementary school children. So, um Actually, from that research, which I completed about 10 years ago, I saw a huge need for um, after-school programs and integration programs that would connect families, children especially, to all the the variety of opportunities that exist in the Treasure Valley.
0: Fantastic. So I guess I'm curious, you know, and I I think this is something that, I mean, a, a lot of folks in Boise maybe aren't aware of. Uh, uh, the refugee community that that exists here. Um, and, you know, I, I'm, I'm sure there are a lot of people out there that, that wonder, you know, why do refugees come to Boise in the first place? I, don't, I mean, is that I don't know if that's a question that, that you know, that, that you know the answer to. But
4: <laughs> Well, it's maybe longer, maybe a longer answer than what we have here. Um, but Idaho is a big resettlement state. Um, uh, New York, Florida, Texas, California and Idaho. Um, Michigan also. Um, basically, I think now you could find refugees in every single state, Alaska and Hawaii combined. So um, what happens is the US, U.S. government turns on the tap and says, we're going to take this many people from this these different regions in the world. And then those people are selected. Then they are placed in different areas of the United States and they are resettled. So that's a very short answer.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. But, I mean, is, is Boise, like, I mean, is Boise one of those hotspots, um, yes. Or are we about average? Or? And, and
4: Twin Falls, okay. yes. Okay. Yeah. Maine actually has a huge Somali population. Minnesota. Uh, Okay, now I'm thinking of programs and groups of people everywhere. So
0: (laughs) (laughs) great. Well, let's let's kind of get into uh, uh, some of the work that that you've been doing with uh, the refugee community um, here in Boise. Um, And, uh, you know, you you talked about sort of the need for these uh, programs uh, outside of school. Um, So, I mean, tell us a little bit about what what you've been working on to try to. Achieve this goal,
4: okay? So, so during the day, um, a, a child will be working their way through a curriculum that helps them learn the language and um, acquire the the academic skills to be successful in school. But then, if you just look at our community, especially the Boise community, we have a profound variety of um, different uh, ecological areas. I mean, that for me, even though I've been here over thirty years. I was drawn to the wetlands, the high mountains, the desert, um, the rivers. Well, if you come here and you don't have perhaps a, a car or um, the language skills to get out and explore these different areas, um, you have a very limited view of, of where you're living. So new Roots is, is a great way for, to get kids out to experience those different areas. Um, before I met Liz, I uh, started a Refugee Ski Program, which um, endeavors to connect children, refugee children, with Bogus Basin through the Nordic Ski Team. So we scholarship children onto the Nordic Ski Team. They participate on the team. They learn to ski and enjoy the high mountains.
2: That's That's a great program. And I just want to jump in here because... One of the themes that's receiving more attention in uh, sustainable building is inclusive communities. So, you know, traditionally green buildings have been uh, at the higher price points and they've been in affluent communities and they've they've been, um, you know, for people with means. And, and yet when we're leaving a large percentage of the population behind, how do we get everybody um, participating in sustainability initiatives and, and building greener communities and building a greener Idaho? And so programs like that are great. Because imagine if your experience at Boise was three weeks of inversion, you know, just within, wherever you could walk, wherever even walking distance, that's a completely different experience than going up to Bogus Basin, interacting with people um, that aren't your next door neighbors, people you don't have access to regularly. And um, one of the, the pieces of wisdom I learned from a practitioner of inclusive communities is that if you look, if you think back to your childhood, in your first job, you know, it's likely you're from your neighbors or your, your parents' friends or some, somehow you were connected in the community to uh, an employer. And if you are disconnected from your greater community, your opportunities are much more limited. Your ability to, to participate in and uh, building a community is very limited and and we're, we're missing out on those resources. So, I mean, this is a great program and it connects directly to Building a Greener Idaho.
4: Well, that's right. Um, that I, I I totally agree. I think about my sister coming here once, and and she comes from a very uh, forested area, and she said, uh, "Where are the trees? Where are the trees?" She's traumatized. Well, she only went to the mall. She came for about a day. She went to the mall because she had forgotten something, and then she was horrified there were no trees, and she left. It's like talk about a slanted viewpoint, right? Um, the the great thing about refuski is that. We take children from diverse areas, and they meet other children who they would not normally meet. Um, kids that may or may not go to the same school, uh, different age children. Um, the, the coaches are often uh, Boise, Boise kids that have grown up, gone to college, and come back, and are now spending his, uh, winter coaching. So there's a tremendous amount of diversity on the team that is even more there's even more diversity with our refugee kids right and then uh you can transcend culture um class language and race
0: fascinating i mean yeah it's definitely definitely important stuff that that you're working on here um and yeah it, it, it seems to me like the the goals of the the refugee ref, uh, sorry refugee ski program i knew i was going to mess that up um <laughs> Are are similar in a lot of ways to what you guys are trying to accomplish with with New Roots, um, and I, I guess I'm wondering how, how how did you first get connected with Liz and uh, uh, get started, you know, in your involvement with the New Roots program?
4: Seren- serendipity, right, Liz? Mm-hmm. Do you want to tell the story? No. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, it was just a matter of being in the right place at the right time. Um, a mutual friend uh, had talked to Liz. And she said to Liz, you should know Megan. And Liz very kindly sent me an email, and I, I was very enthusiastic. Oh, I my spe- gosh. Yeah.
3: I was so excited to meet you. <laughs> I feel like I kind of bring the conservation end of this program, but I so rely on Megan for her education experience and her connections within the refugee community has been really uh, essential to make this work.
4: And for me, it's perfect because um, I'd like uh, Refugee Ski to be more involved in conservation and the exploration of winter um, in a scientific way. So basically, New Roots is the Refugee Ski of the summer, and then I just need to add some components to Refuge Ski in the winter, and we'll have a full-time year-round program.
0: Fantastic. So I'm wondering, you know, when you guys first got together and— you know, started talking about you know ideas for how to run this summer camp program. Um, I guess I'm wondering what what goals did you establish? What were you hoping to accomplish um, in that that first uh, that first year of the program?
4: Well, you can only go as fast as the slowest person. <laughs> 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 so we had we had a lot of uh, lot of discussions, didn't we, Liz? We
3: did. Yeah, we have a few goals. I think for this program, it's really. The engagement aspect of getting the kids involved in both the community and the environment and trying to create make them into stakeholders um, that they have a feeling of belonging in Boise by getting them involved in conservation action and then using place based education to really reinforce that. So taking them all these places. Um, was important for that to just experience. And then to build on that, we want to include mentorship. And so we met natural resource professionals at a lot of these locations. And so it was another big piece that Megan kind of referred to in um, the refuski Ski Angle is, you know, we, we talked to hydrologists and botanists and ornithologists. And there was a way we got to see these professionals in action and participate and realize that these are jobs you could aspire to have in the future.
4: And this is what some people spend their days doing this. How fantastic is that?
2: Well, it it does sound fantastic. Um, And we're at a time here in the show where we need to take a little break uh, for our underwriters and Station ID. Um, You're listening to a special edition of Building a Greener Idaho. This is a a collaboration with uh, Eyes on Conservation podcast. And we're talking about the New Roots program, uh, a program in Boise to engage refugees in conservation practices. Uh, Thanks for listening. And we'll be right back. You're back to a special edition of Building a Greener Idaho. Uh, This is a collaborative show with Aizan Conservation. Uh, Matthew Podolsky is my co-host today, and Matthew has found some very interesting guests who are working with the New Roots program, uh, a refugee conservation program here in Boise. Matthew, tell us more about this interesting subject.
0: Yeah, you bet. So, yeah, we are here with Liz Urban and Megan Jones, who are the uh, co-founders of this project, the New Roots program. Um, so yeah, we're going to jump right back into this interview here, um, and I have a question for both of you guys. Um, I, I'm wondering how this program has sort of, cha- I guess, changed your worldview, or changed the way that you see or view the Boise community in, in, in any way. Um, we'll, we'll start with you, Liz.
3: Hmm, yeah, that's a tough question, <laughs> an all-encompassing sort of question. I felt like I learned so much through this just program, a lot about how children learn. Um, meeting this diverse community of children was especially, just really impacted me. Hearing their stories and being able to work with them and show them uh, some wonderful experiences that I enjoy was really special for me. Um, but just, I feel like I've just dipped my toe into sort of interacting with the refugee community, but it's something that I'm so interested in being more involved in, in some other capacities in the future. Um, yeah, I think, uh, yeah, I think about this stuff like every day now.
4: (laughs) (laughs) It's addictive. Um, for me, it's all about, uh, having, like having the experience of watching children learn. And Liz and I talked about this, the idea that we all learn to read the world. But if you're in a new environment, there are, are things you just you, – you can't read them because you don't understand them. We talked about introducing children to new animals. Like, what's that? And how if you didn't know, you would might think that a jackalope was a real animal because there are some really strange, funky, cool animals out there. Why not? The platypus,
2: for example. <laughs> the
4: platypus. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so having the experience of of guiding, but but then watching the children learn to read their environment in a new way, it, it's just continually thrilling. Just n- nothing like it. Um, yeah. You, I'm
0: sorry. Oh, sorry. I was going to say, do you do you find yourself uh, paying more attention to to birds that you see outside? Or uh? Well,
4: uh, yes, thank you. That's the next part <laughs> that I wanted to say is that you watch someone learn to read the world, and then it changes how you uh, read the world. So certainly through uh, our activities, I changed. I was telling Liz about um, uh, watching birds. I was never really a big bird person. I enjoyed them, but uh, now I'm watching and I'm asking Liz lots of romper room. (laughs) Questions.
3: <laughs> hey, it's addictive.
4: <laughs> and to me,
2: that's one of the real exciting parts of the program as you're bringing awareness to um, the outside world, the natural world, and and hopefully then um, over time grows a sense of wanting to protect and preserve that natural world. And you know, and that's a real powerful thing to be instilling in our youth.
0: Yeah, yeah absolutely, absolutely. So, um, I I just want to bring up here that. Um, In addition to this radio episode and the podcast, um, we've, uh, uh, us here at Wild Lens, we've been uh, working on uh, helping uh, Liz and Megan produce a short documentary video um, about the New Roots program. Um, which everybody should check out. Um, You can go to eyesonconservation.org and check out that video, um, which is a neat way to actually see these kids, you know, out in the outdoors uh, while they were participating in this program. Um, And one of the really neat things that that we show in the video, uh, sort of one of the components of the New Roots program um, uh, that I thought was really interesting was the fact that you gave all of these kids um, digital cameras. Um, And, uh, I mean, I think... I think, if I remember correctly, you had a limit on the number of photos they could take. Like, there's only so much space, you can take, like, 20 photos a day. Um, But uh, sort of uh, uh, integrating um, technology um, into this outdoor experience um, and sort of having that be another element of the learning process for these kids, I thought was really fascinating.
3: Yeah, we really, you know, we were hammering home sort of these scientific concepts and learning about how to participate in conservation, but we really wanted it to be sort of this holistic, all-inclusive sort of experience. So we did lots of kind of art projects, or we were we mingle science and art, but we loved the camera, and they did um, have so much fun every day playing with those cameras. It really reinforced observational skills for them to kind of participating in this photo safari. and. We made sure they got to keep some of their own photos at the end of the program, um, and they were really proud of the work they had done. And a lot of them don't have um, everyday access to things like cell phones, so being able to introduce this technology piece was really
4: great for them. And for us as educators, seeing what they took their pictures of, they had 20 to spend, and it, it was a reflection of what they were learning.
2: What's, in, what's important? What, what, are, what are their eyes seeing? Yeah.
0: Yeah, it's a super neat component of the component of the project, I think. Um and yeah, if you check out that video, you know, we sort of uh uh give a little slideshow of, you know, some of the the photos, some of the most interesting photos that that the kids took, which you can check out.
4: And the great great photographers.
0: Yeah, and it it is. It's amazing. I'm watching them like, wow, these these kids are really good photographers. Yeah, I mean, they've yeah. got a good eye for uh, uh sort of capturing you know the beauty of of the natural areas in in and around Boise, um, which I was really impressed by for sure. Um, so the next thing I want to talk about, uh, I, I want to talk about sort of uh, plans for the future of the the New Roots program. Um, you know what what is what's the next step? Uh, what do you guys sort of have planned for this coming summer?
3: Well, um, as with all sort of community grassroots programs funding is going to limit what we can and can't accomplish but we're working hard to make sure we know we're going to have the program again this june but we would love to lengthen the program into a two-week-long experience so that we get to go to these sites but experience them more in depth and get more down and dirty and hands-on and um, you know do a couple more hours of trail maintenance type activities at each place uh, we're hoping to also expand the number of children we reach. In our first year last summer, we had 11 children participate through the week, and we are hoping to up to at least 15 this year. Um, so it's just sort of a modest uh, growth, but we we're were excited about it and to just sort of continue to improve our curriculum as we go along. Um, we're also going to be working with Boise National Forest is hoping to begin a program called the Wild Outdoor Week, which will... Uh, be an opportunity i'm actually really excited about because it'll be almost a graduating sort of experience for new roots kids to participate in conservation for another week but a little bit more hands-on and intensive and they'll actually be provided a stipend for participating in that if they want to Um, and it just gives them further job skills and connections with more mentors and things like that so we're happy to help Get uh, the forest, get that program off the ground as well.
4: So they'll have the base experience with new roots and then they'll almost graduate to being conservation leaders.
0: Yeah, that's fantastic. And that really ties into what we were talking about earlier in the show um, about, you know, one of the huge benefits of programs like this, you know, being just developing and establishing these connections um, um, with these kids within the community and how that can lead to job opportunities and all kinds of unforeseen positive things uh, moving forward. Um, And you guys are really approaching that directly. You know, you're saying, let's actually you know, expand this program, create a new component to it that actually directly, you know, gets them. I mean, this is like, an, uh, you know, an, an employment or it sounds sort of like a, a in, an intern type experience. Is that? Yeah, definitely. Accurate? Yeah.
4: Well, you almost have to because the kids are so enthusiastic. They all want to come back. We want to expand to a new group and then, of course, give more opportunities. So it kind of grows, multiplies. Yeah.
2: Well, and having the the graduates come back on as leaders makes a lot of sense from the the peer interaction standpoint. I know that we've worked with the Boise School District on some behavior change uh, initiatives around sustainability, and one of the the, uh, techniques the students identified is, hey, you know, it seems like the grade schoolers look up to the junior high schoolers, and the junior high schoolers look up to the high schoolers. So if you had a role model from your upper grade levels showing the younger grade levels why it's cool, why it's important, you're going to get more buy-in from that younger crowd that's coming up.
0: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So um, I, I guess I'm wondering um, if there are other – are you are you guys trying to connect the New Roots program with, with other organizations? Um, you know, I mean, uh, I'm sure, you know, we, we talked about Refuse Ski, um, but I'm, I'm sure there are other – sort of uh uh, programs out there um that that sort of share similar goals trying to get refugees more involved in the community i wonder if you know there are any sort of partnerships that you guys are are working on in that realm
3: oh absolutely i have to say as much work as megan and i put in none of it would be possible without the support of our wonderful you know environmental education community here in boise um Places like the Foothills Learning Center and Boise Watershed and Peregrine Funds World Center for Birds of Prey all stepped up to the plate and were willing to work with us and provide opportunities for the kids to visit their facilities and also sometimes teach. Um, so those partnerships are essential. And we look forward this year to expanding and um We're always looking for new opportunities to participate in. It's almost hard to prioritize what we can fit into the two weeks because there are so many wonderful programs out there.
4: Well, I was just going to add that an essential part um, and a reason why we're so thankful is that all our partners and supporters have been so sensitive to the special needs of of our students.
0: Great, great. And I just want to I want to mention real quickly, because we were talking about this before the interview is um, how you guys sort of timed the uh, uh, the summer camp program so that the last day of the program coincides with World Refugee Day, which I think is really fantastic. Um, I mean, is that something that you guys saw? I mean, did you see a, a benefit to that sort of tie in?
3: Yeah, absolutely. In our first year, I thought the importance was for these kids to have these experiences and then be able to come back to the larger refugee community and share them and say, you can go to Hyatt Wetlands. It's free. It's safe. It's in town. Um, so to share those experiences, it gives them an opportunity to practice language and um, public speaking skills for them as well. So this is a event that we thought was great um, for them to be able to share. And then it also impacts not just the refugee community, but anyone who decides to come at and attend the event, which is a lot of fun.
0: Yeah, fantastic. So real, real quick, before uh, we run out of time here, I'm just wondering if you guys have any uh, uh, sort of thoughts on how folks can get involved, if people who are listening to this who, you know, want to get more involved in helping out the refugee community. Um, is there any, any anything you can sort of point them towards as ways to, to get involved?
3: There's some wonderful volunteer opportunities. Um, we depend on volunteers in our programming. Um, we had over 20 people participate last year, so we welcome that. But uh, there's all our resettlement agencies here in Boise as Which well. Which are
4: the IRC, International Rescue Committee, ANA, Agency for New Americans, World Relief. Um, my, my advice would be, of course, volunteer because you'll have an amazing experience. But also choose your volunteer experience wisely. Um, think about your own goals and uh, your own uh, strengths and weaknesses so that you you have a good experience and you're doing something you want to do.
0: For sure. That's great advice. Absolutely. Um, and so we're kind of wrapping things up here, but um, we'll have uh, uh, links and additional information uh, about all these volunteer opportunities so that folks can, uh, can find uh, out all their different options um, as far as uh, how to get involved um, in both this program specifically, but also just, uh, getting involved in the refugee community in general and learning more about it. Um, so be sure to check out our website, eyesonconservation.org, um, to see those links. Um, and I'm going to, uh, throw it back to you, Chris, to wrap things up.
2: Okay. The, the Building the Greener Idaho moderator says, this has been a great collaboration. Thank you very much, uh, Eyes on Conservation and Matt for coming, uh, coming up with this idea. And to Liz Urban and Megan Jones, your New Roots program is great for the community, and we're really thankful that you're doing this work, and really great to have you on the show. Um, Tune in to Building a Greener Idaho, Tuesdays at 3 p.m. on Radio Boise. We'll see you next week. Take care.
0: All right, that was our conversation with Liz Urban and Megan Jones from the New Roots program, and of course Chris Wilson from the Building a Greener Idaho radio show. Now, I know that I said the same thing after our last episode, but this conversation really reminds me of how lucky I am to live in Boise, Idaho. Not only are we lucky to live in a community that has such a vibrant refugee community, but we're lucky to have folks like Liz and Megan that have made this commitment to providing support for these refugee families. What is clear after watching our short video about the New Roots program is that this program opened up a whole new world of possibilities for these kids and inspired them to explore the Boise the outdoors so if you haven't already be sure to check out that video about the new roost program which you can find on the eyes on conservation video podcast or up on our website at wildlensinc.org and of course there are volunteer opportunities associated with today's show topic Liz and Megan mentioned some great avenues for folks to get involved in helping out Boise's refugee community, and there may even be some opportunities to help directly with the New Roots program this upcoming summer. As usual, information and relevant links for all of these volunteer opportunities can be found on the show notes page for this episode at wildlensinc.org blog EOC13. That's wildlensinc.org blog. Blog slash eoc thirteen. A big thanks to everyone for listening this week. Our interview was produced by Chris Wilson from Building a Greener Idaho and myself, Matt Podolsky. The Birds and the Beats is produced by Ben Miran, and our theme music is by the Humans.